We have now come to chapter 12 of our series of studies in the book of uh, Nehemiah. This is the second last chapter in this book, and I've entitled our study this evening as Revived Hearts Remember Past Leaders and Dedicate Present Leaders. Revived Hearts Remember Past Leaders and Dedicate Present Leaders. Now, if you notice, by the time we have come to the closing chapters of this book, you would be familiar of the different lists that are mentioned in this book. In chapter 3, if you notice, we find you know, the list of people who worked on the wall and what part of the wall they repaired. Chapter 7 lists the names of the people who returned with Zerubbabel. Chapter 8 records the names of the leaders involved in the meeting that they had, the Bible study sessions, if you were to say they had at the Watergate. Chapter 10 contains the names of the 84 men who set their seals to the covenant that they said we are going to make. So, the reason we have also spoken about why these names are mentioned, to recognize them, yes, but also to remember that God is the one who is keeping track, keeping note. And also to remember each one has a role to play in the building up of the body. So, as an introduction, we, we would look at that this chapter can be divided into two sections. If you notice from verses 1 to 26, from verses 1 to 26, we have the first part of the narrative. That's the first slide. The first part of the narrative includes a record of the priests and the Levites. That's all names, 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 names. Okay. And the second part gives us details about the procession that they took around that wall. So it broke up into two groups and from one side and the other side they met together at a common point and over here they rejoiced together. So let's look at the first section over here of these groups of people. We must notice that, uh, no, the next slide on that, we must remember, the next slide, we have covered this portion. The next slide speaks about the remembering of God's people of the past. Remembering God's people of the past. And uh, 26 verses that are given to different, different names that are there. You know, group number one, if you notice, as a record of those who returned with the original group under the order of Cyrus in 536 BC, many years before even Nehemiah was born. This is recorded, the list in Ezra. Okay. Now, Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse 1 says, These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and then all the names are mentioned. So we notice that the first group, first group of the people of the past, the leaders you know, that came along with that first group you know, who, were, you know, uh, who came back from Babylon. The second group has the list of the priests of the next generation. And this generation was led by Joachim, who replaced another priest to Jeshua, of Zerubbabel's generation, 
chapter 12, verse 12 onwards, it speaks about this. In the days of Joachim, the priests, the heads of fathers, you know, and then all that list comes in. So the first group was the group that came in. The second grouping is the list of the priests of the second generation. And the third group consists of names you know, that appear to interrupt the whole list because, again, the list continues in verse 24. And these verses interrupt the account of the temple officers in the time of Joachim. Okay? So here are these three groups that are mentioned. Now, just a recap again or a reminder of an important principle that we pick up from the mention of these names. First, we cannot please God in our work without a thankful spirit to those who have gone before us. Remembering past leaders is important. Heritage is important. History is important. And when we forget those who have gone before us, we misunderstand the level of our own accomplishments. Now, if you notice, you have the hero's list of faith. You know, we think of those who have gone by. We think of those individuals who have you know, gone by, who brought us to the faith, who grounded us in the faith. So if we remember those individuals and give thanks to God for them, then we have the right perspective of our own accomplishments. At times, otherwise, we will think we are the ones who have accomplished everything, even in the body of Christ. If we can think that this generation is the one which has accomplished so much for God. No, look back and give thanks for those individuals who fought for the faith, for those individuals who fought for the Bible, for those individuals who brought reformation into the faith. Remember all those individuals. If it were not for them, where would we be? Secondly, the second understanding is that God thought that rejoicing was so very important. And as a result, if you notice, this whole section is devoted to rejoicing and to draw people together, to rejoice together for what God has done for us in the past. So spend time even right now thinking back, giving thanks to God for past leaders, for past heroes of the faith, for individuals who lay down the foundation, may not necessarily be in your own personal faith, but because of them, we are here today. Okay, The early church fathers, the individuals in the early church who were willing to lay down their lives for what they believed in, individuals who translated the scriptures, individuals who were willing to die for their faith to make sure that the Bible continues to stay alive and make an impact on people. So remember God's people of the past. That's what revival is all about. It remembers God's people. It doesn't forget the efforts of the people who have gone by. Secondly, we also remember the leaders of the present, the leaders of the present. And this is from Nehemiah's time onwards, from verses 27 to 47. Now it deals with how he brought the people together and enabled them to focus their attention on God, the patterns that he used. Okay, Let's look at six details that you know, set the scene for getting these people together. Number one, we find him pulling in the people to a time of dedication, pulling them together. Verse 27 says, now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem. 
so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness. People have in different, different places. So the first thing that he did is he had to pull them out from there, get them across and say, hey, we need to come together. So that was a lot of planning that was done, isn't it? Okay. At times today, a person may say, you know, if it is a move of the Holy Spirit of God, then you don't require any planning, you know. Sometimes we have so much of planning that the working of the Holy Spirit may not be there. That is a dual thing that is necessary, okay? It is not wrong to plan. It is definitely correct to plan. But also we must make sure that our dependency is not all the pulling in of the people, but dependency on the Lord. Number two, he purified the profession of processionals. Those individuals who have all been brought together. Verse 30 says, the priests and the Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people, the gates, and the wall. So when God has invited them together to worship, you know, first thing that is done is a cleansing and a preparation. Why? Because sin left unattended in the lives of the leaders can often hinder the work of God's Spirit. You may have a lot of planning, but if there is sin in our lives, then nothing is going to happen. And then uh, as a result, you know, first important requirement after you've got the people together is to purify themselves, to recognize that you know, God is the one who is in charge. He is the one who is holy. So if we have to worship him, if we have to dedicate ourselves to him, then our lives have to be holy and our lives become holy as we confess our sins and ask him for his forgiveness. Number three, there is the parting of the parades, okay? He appoints two choirs. Verse 31 tells us, Then I had the leaders of Judah come up on top of the wall, and I appointed two great choirs, the first proceeding to the right on top of the wall toward the refuse gate. So he had these two groups of choirs. The wall is circular. And they came from two different directions, and then they finally converged in one. He made sure that that was the pattern that was done so that there is a joining together in worship. You know, he made sure that they came from different places together. That was the first part of it, of pulling in together, then purifying them so that their lives are, their hearts are clean. Then putting them around to say, hey, we are one body together and encouraging them to come together. So when people are instructed to by properly prepared leaders, you know, then there is joy. It is like if you are coming from you know, two sides and finally you meet at the you know, one point, you know, there is the rejoicing, there is the great joy that comes in. Number four, the paths of the parading. The paths of the parading. The paths led both groups to join together in praise at the end, there was the parting, and then there were specific parts that they were that he had put up in verse 32 onwards. You find in, a, in a, the two groups, verse 38, it speaks about the second choir proceeded to the left, while I followed them with half of the people on the wall about the Tower of Furnaces. So, all these details are put together to say which way they should be going, what should they be doing. That is the planning that was done. Nothing wrong with it. It is very important. Otherwise, there would have been chaos. So when it comes to the remembering of the leaders of the present, there is the getting together, there is the purifying, there is also the recognition that we must you know, 
come together in worship as we dedicate ourselves and the wall that has been made with the help of the Lord for his service. Fifthly, you have the people in the processions. The people in the processions. In verse 41, you know, the last part you have, and the singers sang with Jezrahiah, their leader. The singers sang. Okay, As they went around, they didn't just you know, walk around. They were singing and praising God. They interceded as the priests led the way in the loudest praises that they could sing. They had their trumpets together, maybe. They had you know, the singers who were praising, and they definitely did have a great day. I wonder if you and I would have been there, you know, what the rejoicing would have been to recognize, hey, this is what God has done for us. You know, the wall has been completed. Now there is, you know, the bringing together of revival in the hearts of the people through the word of God. Now there's a uniting together in worship and remembering and giving thanks to God for each and every one who participated in the construction of this wall. And this definitely becomes a powerful testimony to the people. In verse 43, it says, On that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. God had given them great joy. As they came together, they did not look around and say, This is the wall I constructed. This was the portion I did. No. The emphasis was God had given them great joy. The focus was not on their teamwork. The focus was not on the dedication of the leaders. But the focus was on the goodness of God that made this whole project possible. Isn't that great? Oftentimes at the end of something that has been accomplished, people are only patting one another's back or looking at you know, your work and say, hey, my work was the greatest. They forget to recognize it is God who enabled them. Here, if you notice, this is a powerful testimony of the people that it is God who has given them this you know, project to be accomplished just in 52 days. Sixth and seventhly, you find the praise of the purified. The praise of the purified. In verse 45, it says, For they performed the worship of their God and the service of purification together with the singers and the gatekeepers in accordance with the command of David. Now, now we must remember that praise is a holy act before God. It's a tool that God has given to us to recognize that we have been separated for God for a particular purpose. And that's what they did. You know, once they have been brought together, once their lives have been purified, once they have been you know, joined together in praise, once they have recognized it is all about God, then they begin to recognize, you know, we must give ourselves in service to him. The story is told of, you know, the British uh, pastor W.E. Sangster, who began to notice some uneasiness in his throat and a dragging in his leg. When he went to the doctor, he found that he had an incurable disease that caused progressive muscular atrophy. His muscles would gradually waste away, his voice would fail, and his throat would soon become unable to swallow. Imagine a pastor going through this in a way your voice is not really able to be used. Sangster threw himself into his work in the British home missions, figuring he could still write 
and he would have even more time for prayer. Let me stay in the struggle, Lord, he pleaded. I don't mind if I can no longer be a general, but give me just a regiment to lead. He wrote articles and books and helped organize prayer cells throughout England. He said, I'm only in the kindergarten of suffering, he told people who pitied him. Gradually, Sangster's legs became useless. His voice went completely off, but he could still hold a pen shakily. And on an Easter morning, just a few weeks before he died, he wrote a letter to his daughter. And in it, he said, it is terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice to shout, he is risen. But it would be still more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. He says it is terrible to have when a, when a, uh, no voice to shout, but it would be still more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. Sangster knew that real worship is the celebration of who God is and what he has done. So this evening, even when you look back into your life on what God has done, you and I have a voice. You know? Would he keep quiet or do we shout out in praise to him who has not only saved us, who keeps us going, accomplishing his purposes in our lives. Now let's look at some important principles of dedication. Important principles of dedication. Number one, dedication to God requires holiness. Dedication to God requires holiness. <laughs> we must remember that even though Nehemiah was an individual who was in a a go-getter, maybe he was a strong leader, a strong management guy who was able to accomplish and organize and things like that. But you know, he also recognized that you know, the importance of the word, so he brought Ezra into place. He also recognized the importance of holiness. That is why he gets all the people together, okay, so that they would recognize, hey, this is, we are dedicating ourselves to God, okay. Now, normally you would have said as soon as the building is completed or as soon as the wall is completed, you give a thanksgiving service over there. But that's not what Nehemiah did. First, the walls were completed. Then the people were brought together around the world so that their hearts were revived. And then he has this thanksgiving. Then he has this dedication. <laughs> okay. So when the Levites were gathered together, in verse 30, it tells us they purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. God wanted them this time to be a time of uh, rejoicing, and you can never really fake rejoicing with unconfessed sin in our lives, isn't it? You know? So if there has to be true joy, then there has to be holiness. That's the second part of it. Dedication to God involves joy. So if there has to be joy, then there has to be holiness. If there is holiness in our lives, then we know that we are clear before God. There's nothing that is coming between us and God. And as a result, there's joy in our hearts to say, Lord, it is only because of your grace that I am what I am. One of the uniqueness of Christianity compared to the religions of the world is that God's people are people of joy. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of even how they might feel in deep down inside, but God's people have joy. Remember the difference between joy and happiness? Happiness depends on happenings, but joy depends on Jesus, on God who is in control. 
And Christianity is the only religion that gives us that deep-seated joy. Things may be totally topsy-turvy, but we still have joy in our lives because we know that God is the one who is in charge, who is in control. Thirdly, we understand that dedication to God requires ongoing obedience. It requires ongoing obedience. Because in verse 44 to 47, we find in a Arrangements are made to store the tithes and the offerings of God's people, okay? So that for the coming times together, hey, this is the starting off, you know, but now you need to keep going. You need to keep obeying God in what God has told you to do. These verses show that the dedication was an important event, yes, but it was not an end in itself. They were expected to continue to grow in their walk with God. They were expected to continue to work together. They were expected to continue to give. Remember, dedication is a wonderful thing. Now, maybe at a camp, maybe at a retreat, maybe after a service, maybe after a study, we say, Lord, I dedicate myself to you. It's a wonderful thing. But it's wonderful only to the degree that when we have said we are going to dedicate ourselves, we follow through on what we have really promised, okay? Otherwise, a ceremony, a dedication event is useless, you know? So that is what, you know, Nehemiah focused on. He brought them together. They had a dedication service, but at the end of the dedication service, he also said, hey, this should not end. This should not just be an event. How often we have events that take place. We have organized events, we finish the events, and that's the end of it all, okay? But there has to be the ongoing obedience if revival has to continue on. Let's look at the application for this particular chapter. Number one, why do you think Nehemiah waited so long to do the dedication of the wall? Why do you think he's waited so, so long? Why did he not do it immediately after the uh, building up of the wall? Secondly, the action of spiritual Purification means to be set apart to God from sin. What are some ways you purify yourself in order to prepare for worship and thanksgiving to God? In other words, when we come together for worship, before that, there has to be that another time of uh, uh, purification. For the Old Testament guys, it was the, the ritual purification. For us today, before we come to worship God, we must make sure that our hearts are purified. How can we do that? What are some of the ways we can do that? Number three, what elements of the celebration and dedication should mark the worship of the New Testament believers? In what ways can we celebrate and dedicate ourselves to God in today's time? Number four, can you recall a time when God gave you great joy? When joy just you know, filled your heart, you know, it was just overflowing. If so, what was memorable about it and how did it affect other people around you? Okay. And number five, what are some ways you or your church could benefit from Nehemiah's example and even be pleased in following ordinances from days long ago? What do you mean by that? Hey, these guys were doing Old Testament patterns. What can we learn? What principles can we learn from some of these Old Testament patterns or even today of the churches that have some of the ordinances? You know, how can we make use of that and still be able to worship God or dedicate ourselves to God in a meaningful way?